A, I think when you're young, you're just a rubber band. So you're, uh, you're not getting injured as much. Um, like a, a fall, one fall, and you're lighter. So one fall can affect a kid differently than it would an adult mm-hmm. uh, if they fall in the same way. And I, I think second is like the map that is presented visually to a kid um, in a generation versus another generation. So, you know, a kid that was presented like the map of tricks that have been done in skateboarding 20 years ago is fully different than the map of tricks that's presented to a kid coming up in skateboarding today. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smarlathy Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a former pro freestyle skier from 2009 to 2014. Um, I haven't talked to many skiers aside from Doug Lewis back in episode 102. So getting into the winter sports, happy to have him here. He's also the co-founder of Century Media. Welcome to the show, Evan Schwartz. Yeah, thank you very much for having me today, Jesse. Looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. And, and so, uh, you know, you've seen a little bit of the things I've done. You know, I kind of come from an endurance sport background. And um, anybody that listened to the episode with Doug Lewis uh, back on episode 102 knows that uh, I the only thing I know about snow is how to build a snowman, basically. Um, I don't know anything about snow sports. I mean... I've obviously watched them, but just no personal familiarity at all. So uh, is it simply a matter of like you, you grew up in an area that's big on that? Like how, how do you, how do you get started, uh, you know, skiing, let alone freestyle skiing? Yeah. Good, good question. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure you can build a, a great snowman. Uh, not, not <laughs> that good there, but my, um, it started when I was really young. My, my dad had a, has a huge passion for skiing. He, he loved it so much and still loves it. I always saw it as like an escape from work. So just take me up to Vermont because I'm from, uh, from the East coast, originally born in New York. Uh, so it's like three and a half hours up North to, to Southern Vermont to Stratton. And we would, we'd ski almost every weekend, um, starting from like three years old, um, and my mom, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Like I ended up uh, going down the freestyle route later in life, but um, love my mom to death, but she's like afraid of heights, um, which is kind of funny. So, you know, when you first start, so she's not really much of a skier because she didn't like the chairlifts as much, but you know, when you first started out, you don't really need to take a chairlift. You can walk up a little hill, kid skis down. Um, and I had like a lot of issues actually like stopping on a dime and I would just blow right past him and not know how to stop. So um what she would do is she busted out a chocolate bar when I was three years old and she's like if you if you stop in front of me and you don't hit me you get a bite of the chocolate bar if you hit me you don't get a bite so she trained me like a dog um which is kind of 
kind of a funny way to start and then quickly grew past that was able to start taking chairlifts with my dad and um yeah that's really where the the passion for for the sport started we just saw it as a saw the escape that he got from it and i just followed in his footsteps so so i guess educate me a little bit um so you're three when you're you know just kind of learning learning the skills doing the bunny slope is it is it age? Is it skills? Like at what point do you graduate to saying, okay, now it's cool to take the chairlift and start doing like some bigger hills? Yeah. Um, I think it, a lot of it is not up to me at the time, at least. Right. Um, a, a lot of, I guess it's dependent on like how well I'm doing, but you know, um, parents had to have a vision for ultimately like what the next step is and to like put you in the right place at the right time. So like beyond fortunate for their support in that manner. And, um, just, uh, always seeing where that next step was and, um, being able to position me there. Um, I always just gravitate and try to excel path like through that and, and pass to the next step. And, um, yeah, just love the sport so much at the time. It just, uh, it meant everything. It still means a lot to me too, but especially as a kid, it was, it was definitely life. It, your your chocolate story kind of reminds me of so the the very first season of the show um every, every i guess i should say every year i have a question i ask every single guest and the, the question changes every year and the first year i was asking everybody like if you could only choose one recovery food for the rest of your life what would it be and most people would choose some kind of like not nutritionally recovery but like a, a pleasure food pizza or beer or ice cream or something so that makes me wonder is it like did it become a long-term thing where you're like you completed a run and you're like it's time to go get a chocolate bar like did, did that become a thing or no it's kind of it's kind of funny i'm like not much of a chocolate guy anymore um, <laughs> I, I switched over to the other side i like the like sweets like starburst and skittles that's like my my, my go-to if I, if I need some sugar, but try to stay away from that stuff as much as possible. Just try to keep it healthy. But if I, if I, if I have to cave in, it's definitely like for a, a pack of a Starburst or, or even Mambas as well. Love that type of candy. Nice. Yeah. It's do, are there like, so, you know, before we got going, I, I was telling you about um, my friend Todd, who's been on the show a couple of times, Todd Buckingham and in, in his kind of love of cinnamon rolls. That's his like, post-race ritual whether it's you know local triathlon or national championship he goes and finds a, a new cinnamon roll um is there and i would say the vast majority of like endurance athletes i know they have some kind of celebratory thing after a race uh is that a thing in skiing where you're all like let's go i don't know because in my mind i'm like Let's we'll warm up. So let's get like uh, hot chocolate or <laughs> like a drink or something. Is that a thing that happens in skiing? I think the celebration gets a little, maybe if there's like any success, a little bit bigger than that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I, I think just like action sports definitely uh, gravitates more towards a party lifestyle um, as well. I try to keep it as healthy as I could. Um, but, you know, if there's, if you're over 21 and there's a, there's some success there, maybe uh, step over to the bar and have some fun and make sure that you're not skiing too hard the next day so you have some time to recover. 
Yeah, it's it's it's. I think it's sometimes it's hard to. Uh, I don't know, maybe not relate, but but like to visualize or really understand. I'll call them cultural differences between the sports. I think endurance athletes maybe we're just too tired too tired to do anything. Been racing for two, four, eight, ten, you know, depending on what the event is, hours. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna go take a nap now. Versus like, how long does a like what a typical run take you? I know when I was talking to Doug, the the downhill runs are a couple minutes, even though they're like anaerobic the whole way down. Yeah. So like for for a half pipe, that I mean, it didn't really last more than uh, 30, 40 seconds tops, um, which is really really fast. So it's a sprint. Um, ultimately, I, I did a lot of slope style as well, which is more of the, the jumps and the rails too, that, that mm. could be a little bit longer, uh, just depending on the size of the course, that could be like anywhere from 40 to a minute, 40 seconds to a minute and a half. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's, yeah, it's definitely like a different, a different type of energy because, you know, I, I definitely go for runs as well. And, you know, I'm dead after three, five miles, which is probably nothing for you. That's where you, where you get started. I'm so, not like short run this morning. It's like three yeah, miles exactly. recovery. <laughs> type of energy. I feel like uh, freestyle athletes or action sports athletes are more just like a bunch of wild monkeys uh, who are very calculated at what they do uh, to be able to make it happen. Um, but it's a, it's definitely a, a different type of energy. I mean, always high octane, um, you know, even a, a large component of the sport too is, um, you know, even like skiing at night as well um, at all hours too, just uh, whether you're filming um, some jumps, uh, whatever it might be to get a unique shot on, on camera. So it's uh, training isn't always necessarily uh, as black and white, like from a nine to five type of thing. So the energy is, uh, I guess, pretty sporadic on when you're, when you're actually going out and doing your sport too. So. So I, we got a lot, lot to get around to, but um, thinking about century, cause I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do you get from like, I'm freestyle skiing. I'm in like action sport culture to now I'm running a media company. So I, I'm, wondering like were you guys taking like video yourself and the tricks and stuff when you were doing it to you know because like i saw the reel of you um and we'll try to have a link down in the description if you want to check out that that reel of evan um is that like the kind of the natural progression you're like oh, i'm already learning how to shoot all this video so like let's do this for other people yeah um definitely so like as, as time progressing yeah it just it kept you know, after, uh, after being a little kid, just kept skiing, uh, all the time. And just, uh, I think like naturally, uh, Alpine racing really wasn't for me. It's like a, a little bit more traditional an approach where you're just, uh, skiing perfectly through runs on gates. And I was always like kind of a little kid just jumping off of the side of all of the runs, um, as well. And it's like always gradually, yeah, just gravitated to just finding my own path a little bit, um, on the slopes and I think my parents definitely saw that at an early age so um really just like love to jump love jumping and just like quickly um got a lot better at it um started jumping on trampolines a lot and really like translated all of that um that that uh I guess that air awareness over to skis um and really started to learn how to make that happen too and I think like over time just started entering events uh 
that uh, really allowed me to like really just find like a, a track to uh, to keep excelling. And um, I think uh, it's like 17 won Junior Olympics, which was a pretty cool opportunity. And I think like that was really when social media was starting too. Um, I think uh, uh, like taking your own film, whether someone else captured it or if you're bringing a camera up on hill to film yourself, film friends, whatever it might be. Um, and started like really getting a little bit better at like taking that content, editing it up in a, in a, in a clean way to like present it online, whether it be YouTube, Facebook at the time, there wasn't really an Instagram yet. Um, it was just like really helpful to just get notoriety um, and get sponsors um, and just make a name for yourself in the industry um, as well. And like um, that over time, like that, obviously the social media revolution has just catapulted people's careers in sports, whatever it might be, and like really democratized fame um, as well. And I think just like there's a, there's a huge correlation between um, like filming the types of angles that you capture and like the type of flow that you feel when you're doing action sports, whether it's skiing or, or even if it's skateboarding, it doesn't have to be skiing per se. Um, but there's like a, a flow, a transitional flow that is quite similar. We were um, just like getting a lot better at filming ourselves on hill and like uh, just relaying that back into post-production and editing content that just like looked really cool and um, make and putting your sponsors uh, logos on on those videos too. Um, and so just like really started building that skill set simultaneously, like more in the back half, like really in the later half of my career um, in skiing. And, you know, after a while, like injuries started to set in um, and just uh, really started to think about like the next chapter in life, like past skiing. And um, after like right at the like senior year of college, just um, decided to just come up with a company name, um, put ourselves out there and um, just started creating content for sponsors within action sports, then some like non-endemic sponsors to the industry. And then I moved to Boston and we were creating content for companies that aren't even necessarily in action sports, more mainstream sports, and then just like a variety of companies that have nothing to do with sports. And like the company started to, to really take off. Um, but we've found our niche like really in short form content. Mm -hmm. So anything like really below three minutes. Um, but we're, we're exploring a, a few different realms here to see how we can do in long form and have some different things in the works that be sure to share with you in the next uh, few months or so. But yeah, it was like very natural evolution uh, on, on how everything kind of picked up. It wasn't like, ah, one day I'm gonna start a company and it had nothing to do with my past life. It was uh, just very, very natural how it grew um, from, from a passion in sports directly into a, a profession that like helped my career in sports and then sports helped my career. So it was, uh, it's quite cool how that evolved. Well, and like in some ways, I'll say we have a kind of a similar threads there where it's like, I had my kind of like own entrepreneurial bang and I already had a company um like I just like I just I design card games and board games and they was still you know competing and trying to earn my professional license and triathlon and then like just experiencing problems on my own and starting Solpre which is now associated with you know the podcast here and 
I didn't ever have, at least at the beginning, I didn't ever have intentions of it like being real big. I was just like, triathlon's expensive. Like if it could just help me pay to, to go to races and like, you know, compete and, and it's grown bigger than that, but not that it's you know, huge yet. So it's interesting. It's always interesting, like how different people find their paths into owning their own business and the kind of like organic connections that you almost can't force. It's like you, you engage life in a certain way and then you just kind of come upon the opportunity what I think some people miss though sometimes is that you also have to be able to like grab that opportunity, not just see it and then go, Oh, that's nice. And then walk away. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you just like anything, it just probably everyone, everyone has some sort of vision for what they want to do, but like the actual execution is just takes a lot, a lot. It takes like five times longer than you had anticipated to. I'm de- definitely taking way longer than I had thought, but that's, uh, I still feel like we're on a great path, but you know, that if I could give myself like five, six years ago, any, any advice is like, just be as patient as you possibly can. Cause like my vision of it at the time was like, oh yeah, this will take off in a, in a minute, but that's not the case. It's going to explode. Yeah. It's well, yeah. I think, man, I think some of it's like simply a matter of that's how it works for most people, especially because, you know, like we're both bootstrap companies, like neither of us is taking VC capital and just spending a ton of money on ads. It's just negative dollars just to get eyeballs on things. You know, there are obviously those companies and they, you know, they blow up quickly, but they also have the tendency to blow up and go bankrupt because they never reach profitability. So like they can't survive. It's either they become this unicorn or they cease to exist. So I think some of it's just the nature of the route that you've chosen. Just knowing that it, it takes a while for you know, word of mouth to get out, for networks to be built. And you already, you know, I think you got hooked up doing stuff with Red Bull because you already had some of that network in the sport, you know, and that's a connection that like, like if I tried to start your company, I don't know anybody at Red Bull. I'm definitely not getting in with Red Bull. Like, so some of, some of that like organic work you did just from doing the things you do, you know, kind of put you in a, a unique position too. Yeah, it, thank you. It's not even me, right? The, like, I think like all this entry, a lot of us come from action sports background too. Like my co-founder, Mark, he, he was the one that actually had the, the connection um, there with Red Bull. It was okay. through- at UVM and then um, one of the directors that we work with um, Tyler Reedus as well um, he has a great relationship with Red Bull too so it wasn't even me in that instance it was those guys uh, making it happen but like I think just like the core of our DNA is just all of us come from like action sports in a sense there but um, yeah they, they they did a lot of the great work that you see on our website um, as well so appreciate all the success that they've uh, that they've achieved and giving back to the company. It, so like as a business owner, when I was kind of getting ready to talk to you and, and kind of saw just the, you know, in the information I was looking through before actually looking through any of the reels, you know, that you're doing content and video for companies. I'm like, okay, well, what, what are you actually doing? Cause um, you know, there's, if I say Harmon brothers, you probably know who I'm talking about, but the average person would be like, who? 
the people that did like the videos for Squatty Potty and Purple and and that kind of yeah. thing. So like, there's that kind of media company that's doing, you know, branding and like direct sales and like that is not what you're doing in the slightest. Like it, it's definitely brand association, but it's not like here's a product, come buy it. You know, so like tell me like, and maybe this is a, a boring for the average listener. So sorry if it is, but I guess this is my show. So I get to ask the boring questions. Like, where do you fit in to, to the kind of content side of companies since you're, you're at least from the reels, I could see it's not just like, Hey, buy Red Bull or what, like it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's a little more sophisticated than that. Yeah. I mean, simply we, we create the commercials and the advertisements We're on the creative side. So, um, we'll script out what a commercial will look like. We'll completely like map out every detail of it. Um, and then whether it requires film or 3D animation or a combination of the two, uh, we, we execute according to the script and the plan that we have in place. Like, I think like 20 years ago, if like a, um, like a Procter and Gamble puts out a commercial, um, it's one staple commercial that they have for television, but even a company like that today, just because of social media, one commercial now could equate to like technically 20 different pieces of content that they'll distribute on like 20 different platforms. So they might have an ad that they put on Amazon Prime from the same shoot that they did for a commercial that you'll see on television. And then that same uh, piece that they'll take from that and then uh, transform it in a different way for Facebook, transform it in a different way for Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever it might be. Um, and that's really what we help do. So, you know, like if a, if a company comes to us um, and they, they ask us to create a commercial, it, it's not just like one, one commercial. There could be like 30 different pieces of content from just that one, uh, one campaign that we do with them. Um, that they just distribute on a multitude of different platforms, but ultimately it's to help them uh, drive awareness and sales to their, their company. But we're, we're, we're strictly on the creative side for that. I was thinking about, so I'm, you're talking about trying to do, I'll say longer form, but even if you're like 10 minute pieces, I would consider that long form for like the style that you do. Is that like, um, say you take your your director hat off and you put your skis back on is that like a short documentary on like evan and his story and like how that tie like it's like sponsored athletes i don't i don't know who's current with red bull and in, in skiing but like say you take one of their athletes and like you do a, a piece on them is is that what you're thinking about long form exactly yeah we, we're not creating movies or, or like hour-long documentaries right. yeah perhaps in the future but I think right now we just got to play to our strengths and where we're really succeeding. Um, that, that's really around short form. And I think just like the next natural phase for us is maybe a bit of that, like like you said, like a mini documentary, just these mini stories um, right. that can be like anywhere from five to 15 minutes long. I was like, just, just look at the style of what you guys make. That seemed like, to, to me, that seems like the next step, but... I'm, you know, it's not my company and I have no perspective in terms of like making these videos. I, I have no idea. Like the, the closest touchstone I have is like, I do a, a very pinched 
a bit of like scoring. I'm more orchestral. Like I don't, I don't do the kind of scoring you guys do. So I guess I, I do want to ask about that too. So again, to the listener, if it's boring, sorry. Um, but like, how are you guys putting your music together with your stuff? Cause I mean, it's always going to be like, you know, high action rock or hip hop, like those different genres that have a lot of energy. Um, are you just like going out getting stock pieces and then cutting to it? Or you, do you have somebody on staff that's doing that? Um, we don't have anyone on staff right now. We, uh, we work with a bunch of other companies um, that will help uh, with that. Uh, we also use a, there's a variety of different platforms too, which we're, where we'll license music yeah. um, as well. We, we do all like audio effects internally though. Mm-hmm. So if like, you know, we film you, uh, you know, walking up your stairs, but when we filmed it, the audio from your feet uh, actually hitting the stairs sounded a bit funky. Um, you know, someone on our team um, might literally take a, a completely different sound bite um, of feet hitting the ground when you're walking mm-hmm. and overlay that in to make it have more of a, a natural effect or just make it seem a little bit more more real or, or cleaner to the viewer too so we, we take on the effects but we're we don't score our own music internally it's just because of where you are size wise i was just curious how that works and like i said it's not it's something i'm personally interested in though i'm not familiar with like constructing music for those genres so i i can't be any help to you unfortunately um but it's just I see it and I'm like, how is that done? I want to know, like, I want to pick it apart and figure it out. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a really, uh, a really awesome space to be in. Like, we love it. Um, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting that you, you say that, like, we've been, um, uh, we've been working on a, a few movie trailers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, um, we just did our first movie trailer for, um, a remaster of a movie called um, not Animal House but Animal Room um, by director Craig Singer, uh, which is which is really awesome. And um, we, we worked with uh, um, Hakeem Draper and uh, David Lawin at Link Media Partners, and they did all the music scoring for that, which is really cool. Um, so this is a movie from it was the late '80s or '90s, actually. Mm-hmm. It has like a Neil Patrick Harris um, in it as well, um, Amanda Pete, um, and it should be coming out here in the fall too. And I think the trailer was just released, and um, we're, we're starting to do a lot more trailer work um, as well. We feel like it's a very natural, it's also a very natural fit for the type of content that we create. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more music scoring involved in, in trailer uh, creation. From, from what we're realizing versus like the commercials that we'll produce for a consumer goods company, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And then um, the, I don't know if you saw in like the recent movie, um, The Tomorrow War on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Um, it has like Chris Pratt in it, a uh, very successful actor as well. We just did a, an influencer piece um, for him just around the, uh, around the movie um, as well, my, my co-founder Mark did the editing and um, we actually partnered with uh, Sailor, which is a, a media company in Los Angeles around that um, too. So that was like r- really awesome. And that's like really where we're seeing a lot of the music scoring happening is more on that side of the business. And we have a lot of content that we haven't released yet, but sometime this fall, we'll, 
we'll, we'll make a, a, a true announcement around it, but I guess a, a sneak peek here on your podcast. Nice. Nice, man. Um, yeah, I know for, um, since I kind of hang around composers and, and people that want to get into film and stuff, uh, it seems like a lot of them, like the foot in the door is, oh, like I'm scoring some trailers. Not, you don't often get your foot in the door by, oh, I'm doing a full length film as your first project. It's just because you're not proven, you know? So I think, it, you know, on your side, it's also like, that makes sense too. You're already doing short form. So like, let's cut some trailers. So we're going from, you know, 45 second pieces to minute and a half, two minute pieces. And then like, yeah. like building up that storytelling ability. Well, we can be executive producers on, on movies if our, if our uh, parents were founders of massive technology companies. <laughs> uh, that, that's another way to get into it. But if you're building it from the ground up, um, yeah, this is the path, this is the natural path forward. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome, man. Um, I have to jump back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and so, so it's like a kind, of a, kind of a hard cut. But before we talk, we're, we're going uh, recording officially you had mentioned that you had met a previous guest or you know, or friends with a previous guest of mine, AKA Quackor, uh, back on episode 106. Hopefully I did a little bit better job with his name this time. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, how did you meet him? Cause you said when you came to Boston, he was like one of the first people you met. He was, he's a track guy. You're down You're like freestyle skiing. Like the sports don't really collide very, very often. So, I mean, how do you, how do you get in touch with him? Yeah. I mean, AK is the best. He's been uh, such a, like, he's been instrumental in like helping me get plugged into the Boston scene as well. When I first moved here for over four years ago, he says, you know, outside of his success in, in business and, and sports, uh, just a really nice guy. So l- lucky to know him, but I mean, I think we both, um, just networking like crazy in Boston because we're just both we're both uh, put uh, trying to just meet as many people as we can uh, great people and um, like grow our businesses too um, so I forget who actually introduced us um, a while ago it may have been an agency partner um, and we, we grabbed coffee a couple of years ago and just uh, stayed in touch he's given me a ton of advice and I, I mean he gives like massive presentations on on just like how to improve like sales acumen, public speaking, et cetera. So he, he's been a huge help there too. Um, and I think he just moved out to Los Angeles and has a, a really nice new gig as well in, in television too. So I'm excited to catch up with him after this podcast and learn a little bit more about what he's up to. And my, my co-founder Mark is actually based out in Newport Beach. So um, I have to make a trip out there and visit both of them. Nice. That's why I just, sometimes I'll have people come on like yourself and they'll say, oh yeah, I know so-and-so. And like, you know, my assistant does the research and you'd ask like, how does she find all these things? And those are sometimes we don't find some of those connections because they're, you just, I don't know that there's any way to find them besides asking. And so it's always fun when I have kind of like accidental connections or, or incidental connections between guests. And I'm like, Oh, that's neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a small one too. I mean, Boston is like it's obviously a big city, but I mean, people people see it as a big town too. Um, it definitely has a a town vibe to it. It's it's very small in in, in nature in terms of just uh, people and 
uh, connection. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great to meet people like AK. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you about uh, kind of what you're doing nowadays, sports wise, physical activity wise. I think you'd said um, when I listened to the podcast with you and uh, the exec- executive athlete podcast with Ken Lubin, um, talking about just the impact and kind of, and even earlier in our conversation, you mentioned like injuries creeping up and just the, you know, the impact that freestyle skiing has on your body where it's like, you're probably not going to be 90 years, 90 years old doing flips and stuff like you know, getting in the half, dropping in the half pipe. So, I mean, you, I'll say left the sport behind, I, I'm guessing you probably still ski from time to time, but like, what are you doing um, nowadays to, to stay active, you know, kind of keep that going? Yeah. Uh, freestyle skiing is not like a pastime sport, like golf or anything, where you just keep it going, flip doing flips at age 70. Maybe there's some savages out there that are able to, <laughs> to maintain it. Um, if, if you know him, Tanner Hall, but um, uh, other than that, uh, no, it's not for, it's not for the pain of heart. So, I mean, yeah, like I had a bunch of injuries, uh, more toward the end. Um, it was like more ACL tear and then, um, just shoulder dislocations. That's really what honestly kind of sidelined me. I think it held me back a little bit, but try not to make too many excuses. Um, yeah, like in the, this, like really the story behind the injuries were in, like had like a, a bang out year in 2008 and 2009, um, you know, it was uh, doing a lot of world cups, like a bunch of top tens in world cups. And then, uh, got a top 10 at AFP world championships in 2009, um, qualified for FIS world championships too in 2009. And then, um, like tore my ACL, like really quickly after that and like shoulder dislocations too. And I went back to school at UVM and I was like, all right, well, I love to ski, but it is a very young person's sport. And, um, I don't know, I was a, a bit over it, uh, mentally. Um, but then it, I saw that it, it became an Olympic sport, like while I was, uh, healing back up, I was like, you know, I mean, I, I just started missing it even more, like aside from it being an Olympic sport, I was like, all right, like, I feel like I still have so much left in me. I'm only like 20, 21 years old here. Like it's, it's very young and still in great shape. So, uh, try to make a comeback. Um, it did a, like a couple more years of competing to the Olympic qualifiers in, um, was it 2013, uh, 2014, um, for Sochi, which was the half pipe debut for, for skiing in the Olympics. Um, they chose four guys. I think I was like around eighth guy. So it didn't end up making the cut. Um, but it was an, it was an awesome ride. Um, and I just decided that it was over. The sport was, I mean, every day, every year, uh, the tricks that are being done by like these, uh, these girls and guys on skis is just in all action sports. It's unreal to see the progression. Um, I just honestly didn't know if I could continue to keep up at that pace, nor was I, did I have my heart in it? So I thought that was just like the, the perfect, the perfect breakoff point, but like still kept jumping a little bit, like can, can let it go like fully. Um, but I, I would say, um, like, 2017 2018 like really didn't do as much jumping anymore and it's kind of like uh really become a, a recreation sport like to present day but mm. the, the 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 injuries were for me were like really around the acl and the and the shoulders but um 
staying in the best shape possible, trying to eat well and uh, work out as much as I can. So maintain a healthy body till, till my last breath. I'm thinking about like trick improvement. I haven't, you know, I, I, I watch the Winter Olympics, but I don't want, I don't like, I don't watch the sport much. Um, I don't actually watch a ton of action sports or really sports in general, oddly enough. Um, kind of live in my own little bubble, but uh, I was thinking about, I feel like I just saw a video of like a 12 year old kid. This is obviously skateboarding, but like a 12 year old kid completing the first 1080 and like Tony Hawk was there to congratulate him. Um, and it, I, it made me wonder, cause this kid's 12, like, is it, are there like the more extreme tricks is it a young person sport because like just size gets in the way as you get, you get older, you get a little bigger, you're carrying more muscle, like with that comes power, but then like you're fighting against gravity. Like, is it a young person sport in part because they have to grow up in it and kind of get those specific muscle, you know, powers for their tricks? Or is it like just, because they haven't been broken by injuries yet. Like what, yeah. what is it that, that makes it, you know, cause 12 is pretty damn young to be landing a, a huge trick like that. Um, and I'm sure there's probably standouts in skiing as well that, you know, that I just simply am completely unaware of. So, I mean, what would you attribute that to? Yeah. I mean, Hey, I think when you're young, you're just a rubber band. So you're, uh, you're not getting injured as much. Um, like a, a fall, one fall, and you're lighter, so one fall can affect a kid differently than it would an adult mm -hmm. uh, if they fall in the same way. And I, I think second is like the map that is presented visually to a kid um, in a generation versus another generation. So you know, a kid that was presented like the map of tricks that have been done in skateboarding 20 years ago is fully different than the map of tricks that's presented to a kid coming up in skateboarding today. Mm -hmm. you know, like maybe the, the 360 was like one of the most crazy things to think of um, like 30 years ago on a skateboard. So you, no one's going to be trying 1080s. That's unfathomable. Right. Now that um, um, there's, a, there's just such a higher level of uh, difficulty being done on a day-to-day -day basis in, in skateboarding, like, it just seems more feasible because everybody's doing it type of thing. And I think that's like a, I think that's like the same thing in investing or like in business too. Like, you know, a couple people started tech companies and then they realized the success and more people start doing it. Then like now everyone has a tech company or everyone's trying to create a tech company because like it's the way to get wealthy. And it's, it's the same thing. Uh, there's like a different map presented to the youth in today's age than there was 20, 30 years ago. Um, and it, just seeing others have that, just, just seeing that possibility already be done makes it easier psychologically, I think, to break through to that next barrier. Gotcha. Evan, before we run out of time, um, if you watched AK's episode, you know the question already, but this year I'm asking everybody, how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal? Oh man, that's such a good question. Um, Maybe like there's, I feel like I'm a sensitive guy, but at the same time, like, I think I'm good. At, I think a lot of it is like compartmentalizing as well. Um, and just like lo loving what you're doing, 
yeah, that that's just it at the end of the day. If you don't love what you're doing, you're gonna you're just gonna walk away. But if you like really love what you're doing, uh, it's just you just see failure as like a, a lesson. Um, you can I know that sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it, it honestly is just like it's just the it's just the all time motivator. If you actually are attracted to what you're doing and you really want to continue doing it regardless, like it, it you'll just keep coming back regardless. I mean, obviously the the successes definitely are are highs. Um, and everyone loves celebrating a success, but if you can just be happy doing what you're doing regardless of the highs and the lows, like that's that's how the real success actually does come and you can get over a, a, a small fail. That's good, man. Um, Evan, where can people get in touch with you, check out what Century's doing, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, uh, our website is century.media. So that's C-I-N-T-R-I dot media. Um, and all of our contact information's on that website as well. Uh, we have a contact us page too. I would love to talk to anyone that's interested in learning more um, or just wants to chat it up uh, or even interested in a collaboration with Century too. That's good, man. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Yeah, thank you, Jesse. Appreciate the time as always.